Hello and welcome to the Pod Charles Cinecast, presented by the Prince Charles Cinema and the Breadcrumbs Collective. This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and today I have a special episode for you because none other than Bill S. Preston Esquire or Marco the Vampire, Mr. Alex Winner. That writer, that director man, he is on the podcast today because Alex was in town at the Prince Charles Cinema from the 31st of March to the 3rd of April for a very fun, action-packed weekend full of screenings of The Lost Boys on 35mm. We had screenings of Bill & Ted's Excellent Adventure plus a Bill & Ted's triple feature for the very first time at the Prince Charles Cinema, which also featured a couple of appearances from the co-writer, Ed Solomon, which was amazing. We also had screenings of Freaked. We had screenings of Death Proof 3, which is the very first film that Alex Winter was in. And uh, we also had Edgar Wright turn up for that. So it was a jam-packed weekend. There was meet and greets. And we also had what we're going to get to today is a in-conversation event. The in-conversation was basically a chat where me and Alex sat down and I talked about his life and career And I had a little slideshow presentation in the background, and I also took some questions from the audience. It was a lot of fun just getting to chat with Alex Winter about everything, and he was so cool, man. Just really, really cool. Just a cool person to deal with, just speaking honestly here, because over the years, I've had to deal with a lot of different people at the Prince Charles Cinema who come in, some actors or directors or whatever, and sometimes they're really cool, and sometimes they're just eh, not so much. And Alex was one of the coolest people we've had to deal with. He supports the Prince Charles Cinema a lot. He loves what we're doing there. He loves that we showed 35mm. He was really hyped that we were showing The Lost Boys on 35. So it was a really cool experience. I can only say thank you so much to Alex Winter. Thank you if you are even listening to this. Thank you for all your time and how good you were to everybody at the Prince Charles and to all the fans out there who came to see you. You made so much time for everyone. Just a, a total pro awesome to work with. But anyway, I don't know if you guys remember back in the day, myself and Ariane, we did a live episode at the Prince Charles Cinema with Good Burger, and I released a video version of that podcast with the slideshow presentation I presented live. So I did the same thing with this. Uh, If you want, you can check out in the description of this podcast episode if you want to watch along. It's basically just the edited version of the episode that you're about to hear with the slideshow presentation uh, in the background. So if you want to watch along, feel free to click that link in the description below. But otherwise, you can keep listening here. I had a lot of uh, stress when I was trying to put this thing together, just trying to make sure it was as cool as possible. So I hope you guys enjoy this. So yeah, just kick back and enjoy this in conversation with Alex Winter. How's it going, guys? Welcome to the Prince Charles Cinema. Come on. It's the weekend. Come on. It's not Monday yet. Have you guys had a good weekend? How many of you guys have been to the Alex Winter events all weekend long? Right on. So quite a few of you. Anybody at the meet and greet today? And then Bill and Ted's? And then this, obviously. And then the Lost Boys? And then Zappa? God, you guys are hardcore. Cool. That's really cool. Okay, so my name is Jonathan Foster. I work here at the Prince Charles Cinema uh, doing PR and design. Uh, Part of my job is to make sure you guys come out, and that's cool. So (laughs) thank you for coming out. Uh, I also run the weekly podcast, which is called the Pod Charles Cinecast. I'm going to ask, and most of you guys will be like, no. Does anyone listen? 
Oh, there's a couple. Cool. That's awesome. Sweet. Thanks for listening. So the reason why I'm uh, teeing that up is because I am recording this for the podcast. So you guys can get as loud as you want, cheer on little moments that are happening. Basically, it's just going to be like a really rinky-dink slideshow presentation. (laughs) Because we are the Prince Charles Cinema. Um, And uh, no, no, we're better than that. It's going to be a really good slideshow presentation. Yet it's still a slideshow. Um, But anyway, I'm recording it and it's going to be on the podcast. So if you listen, you can hear it back then and you can hear yourself in the audience going, or or it might be, and the compression on it might just go. Okay, without any further ado, the reason why we are here today is to have an in-conversation with Alex Winter. Howdy, Alex. Let me make sure your mic is actually on. How you guys doing? Here we go. I'm I'm good now that I've eaten. (laughs) Three hours of signing stuff. I I was a little incoherent by the end. Yeah, it's been a rough day for all of us because we just kind of. I mean, you guys even as well because you've been here and we've made you queue and wait in ages. But you guys are awesome. So thanks so much for being so nice and generous to us and like not being too upset with us for making you go in and out. Hey, like, we were all in that together, yeah. those of you that were in that room. So I I am not complaining. Well, I'm complaining for all of us, actually. Yeah. I am complaining. I'm complaining to management from all of us. No, it was a, it's been an amazing weekend, and I'm hugely grateful to... Uh, we've been trying to organize this for a while, and uh, uh, I've been going back to Z- doing a big Zappa thing here, doing a big Bill and Ted thing here. That's like two years, over two years ago. That all got kiboshed by COVID. Then we set this whole thing up. Then that got kiboshed by COVID. Then eventually we were just like, let's just do it because like eventually I'll be so old I won't even be able to get on a plane anymore. <laughs> um, so we just did it and it's been amazing. I mean, Ed Solomon was here. We had Edgar Wright last night for Death Wish. Paul Davis has been doing The Lost Boys. It's been really, really fun. And, and uh, just quickly before we jump in because I know I'm supposed to be talking about my stuff which is really kind of excruciating, but... Um, <laughs> I'm just really grateful to all of you because it, it would be nothing to do if I got over here and there was no one here, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, thank, thank you guys you very much for coming out for all of this. It's greatly, greatly appreciated. It meant a lot to Ed Solomon as well. So it was very moving for both of us to do the Bill and Ted screenings together. Yeah, so. did you guys get to come out, anybody, to the Ed Solomon shows? Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is literally no offense to Ed Solomon, but you can tell he wrote Bill and Ted. He is so chill. He's so, like, the way he talks, it's just like, yeah. Like, you know, it's just like you can see those characters coming out. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really cool guy, super nice, and you've been super great to us, and I'm so happy to be a part of this and that we could do this finally. Like you said, it's been, like, a long time coming, so this is great. So Alex is in the hot seat now. Oh, brother. (laughs) (laughs) And the funny thing is he can actually kind of see what's coming up. You guys, oh, can? I can actually see what he's about to show you. So there's some worse. I think. Yeah, it's like I don't know. Maybe you could just like you just don't even have, if you don't look at all, then you won't even know what's That's on the true. screen behind you. Yeah, I could play with my phone while you guys do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna play Tetris while you guys do this. You have Tetris on your phone. 
Dude, probably. we could be doing that right now. <laughs> like, I mean, sorry, guys, but it would be oh. a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, all right, so, Alex, you are returning home. You were born here mm-hmm. in London. Did anyone know that? Yeah, he's a London-born yeah. boy. Yeah, but I've spent a lot of time here. I mean, I, yeah. I, I left when I was five and then came back here and worked here for quite some time. So this has kind of been my second home for a long time. Do you have any memories of uh, when you were young in London? Or oh, sure. Yeah, of course. Because I know you're quite young when you left. But I was, but I have me- those are all memories. I took my, my 12-year-old, I brought him over with me. He's never left the country before, and he's just been, he's been having an amazing time. But I took him to where the building that I was, I was actually born at home. My mom had such a bad experience with the national health of my brother that she's like, I'm not going back to a hospital. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm not getting out of bed. You're, just, this is, you're coming out here. Uh, so I was born at home in, in uh, sort of near Olympia, basically, up near that end of the world. And uh, yeah, no, it was not fancy at all. Um, <laughs> uh, so I took Jules over to, the, to, the build, to that building. And I have a lot of memories of that, sure. Nice. Yeah. Rapscallionism. Um, well, your Early parents rapscallionism. Were, your parents were both dancers, right? They were, yeah. My yeah. mom um, uh, came over from New York and founded a modern dance company here in the 60s. And my dad came from Australia and ended up in her company. And so they had that company for a while and then we moved to the US and she taught dance at a university. And my dad formed a dance company in in the Midwest, which is still going to Mm -hmm. this day. So she had actually the first modern company in Europe. Oh wow. She had, uh, was a Martha Graham trained dancer from New York and uh, was the sort of the founding modern company here. Nice. Did they get little Alex dancing? They, I started dancing at three. Wow. I did. You and I was so bad, moves? they were like, you're not following in our footsteps. <laughs> I think it, by four, there was yeah. like an edict. It wasn't a, a question. It was a statement. Um, but I started doing, I tapped a lot. I was, on, I was, like a, I was a Broadway brat. I, was on, mm. I started acting professionally at nine, and uh, I ended up on Broadway by 12. Here we go. So we had a little... That's actually late. I mean, funnily enough, yeah. I'm like, that's like five years into me working. I was yeah. so teeny. Um, but uh, that's Peter Pan. Yeah, and you started with The King and I? Started was, with King and I with Yul Brynner, yeah. Which is amazing, Yul Brynner. What yeah. was that like, working with amazing. Yul Brynner? It was amazing, yeah, it was incredible. It was, uh, it was like stars of another era. It wasn't, funnily enough, dissimilar to working with Bronson on Death Wish. It was just the same kind of person from yeah. the same kind of era of Hollywood. Uh, very genteel, very professional, very, I wouldn't say modest isn't the word, but not arrogant, but just very uh, down-to-earth, you know, grounded. But still pretty, the presence was pretty big. And, mm-hmm. and Brenner basically directed those shows, even though he didn't take credit. So he hired me. He ran the auditions and all that. So I did King and I on Broadway. Then I did the national tour of that. Um, and then I came back and did Peter Pan. I was on Broadway for like four, four and a half years, basically. Oh, all, all the way through high school. Yeah. And you went to high school around New about New Jersey. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. We didn't, I didn't want to go to professional children's school. So... I went to a school, a regular public high school in Jersey and took the bus and it did eight shows a week Wow! in the Jeez. city from Jersey. Yeah. Were you doing any other extracurricular, like any sports or anything? Yeah, or? I played soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was from here. Like soccer was a big, football was a big thing in our household. Um, I was really, really bad. Uh. Um, I mean, I was, I was literally doing eight shows a week. I was not exactly like out on a pitch, right? I was literally you know, on a bus or on a stage. So, but I had fun. Um, but I was really a theater kid, so that's what I was doing all through school. Yeah. So what was it like once you transitioned from uh, 
you know, as a as a child star, like you, or you start to get I into. I was a star. I mean, yeah. I was. I had good supporting roles in those yeah. shows, but I was not a child. I wasn't like Macaulay well, Culkin or something. A, ch- a work, a working uh, yes. in the showbiz I as was, a child. Yeah. But like, uh, at one point, did you like know that that's what you wanted to do? That you wanted to be in show business and entertain? People? I mean, I liked the performing arts since mm-hmm. I was really, really like five. I started acting professionally by nine, so I was doing quasi-professional stuff at like eight and nine, mostly theater and then some TV and things like that. But mm-hmm. um, uh, I started saving up money for film school. I wanted to, to go to film school. I didn't want to study acting. I wanted to study directing and writing. So uh, I saved up my money and uh, put myself through NYU. And, and here we go. You and your partner that you met in school, Tom, Tom Stern. Stern. Yeah. And that's yeah. you, this is about, what, what age would you have been? That's, you know what, that's actually, interestingly enough, my friend, I was a, a film major and a photo minor at NYU, and, uh, and I had a job at NYU, I worked what's called The Cage, which is where you check stuff in and out, and that allowed you, I mean, some kid was asking me earlier, like, how to be a director, yeah. and I was just talking about how technology, for all of its flaws, allows pretty much, it kind of democratizes the ability to make movies, right, and at our age in the in the early 80s you know we didn't have a lot of money we didn't have any money so uh, it was really expensive to do anything you know film film cameras i had a bolex that i'd bought you know wind up bolex i was shooting everything off the bolex film was expensive process if you wanted to do a fade you guys probably don't know this but if you wanted to do a fade it was an optical effect you know when you're 19 you're like oh do i want to spend the money on an optical effect or do i want to buy dinner you know like food for the next 2 weeks uh, so, and you had to do like a grease pencil mark and that was your fate. So it was really labor intensive. And um, so by working in the cage, I could use all their equipment all the time for free. And th- that was shot actually for my Lost Boys audition. Oh, was it? Okay. Um, my friend Peter Orth, who's a photographer, we shot that at NYU in the studio at like three in the morning. Uh, Marion, da- the casting director, wanted to see me in a biker jacket. Oh, okay. And I didn't own one and Peter did. So we just got his biker jacket and like hit the studio at like two in the morning and photographed me in a biker jacket. Uh, my friend's band, Blended at God, they were an SST punk band from back in the day. Um, and that's what we sent off for the Lost Boys thing. Amazing. Yeah, well, so we'll get, probably, I would have been 19. We'll get into the other jacket from the Lost Boys. <laughs> um, yeah, that yeah. got swapped out for a more <laughs> ornate thing. <laughs> well, what was it like meeting uh, Tom Stern? Tom, Tom and I met freshman year of, uh, of NYU. We met mm-hmm. day one um, at registration. And, you know, like I said, it was really, we were both really ambitious and we wanted to make films. It was really expensive to make films. So we, uh, about three quarters of the way through our freshman year, we decided to start pooling our, our money and making films together. And we did that initially out of economics, right? It was like, if, if, you know, if you give me all your money, it was like kids in like a treehouse, right? Like if you give me all of your you know, whatever, uh, pixie sticks, and I give you all of mine, we'll have double the amount of pixie sticks. <laughs> it was kind of like that. So uh, we started making movies together, and we really enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, and our classes really enjoyed it. They were kind of crowd-pleasing movies. Um, and we ended up making a film our sophomore, uh, junior year, sophomore year of NYU, uh, which we got like an F on because it took us two years to make. And that was, <laughs> that was this movie called Squeal of Death. Yeah. And, uh, some people know that it's been all over the internet for years, um, and that eventually became our calling card out to Hollywood. Sam Raimi yeah. saw it; he loved it. He was like, "Come out! I'll try to help you get a deal." Um, and that was just our sophomore year film project, basically. Nice. Um, okay, so you've transitioned. You were acting a lot. You're still acting a bit here and there, and you're going out for auditions. You mentioned 
uh, in some of your Q&As that you were purely going on some auditions just to meet directors and talk to them. But what was your turning point for you to be like, I want to be a filmmaker? And what kind of uh, path did you see yourself going down? Like, Because we know you're doing documentaries and stuff now, and you've had a really good run of that. Um, But back then, was there any sort of different aspirations? I just knew I wanted to make films and I wanted to write. Um, and I really liked acting, but I, I, I didn't really want to stop acting at that point. Um, it really wasn't until my mid-20s that I'd, just be, I'd been doing it so long, because I'd started so young, that I frankly just needed a break. Um, a lot of child actors need a break, and I didn't even realize that until I did, I did a doc for HBO, which was on Sky about a year ago, called Showbiz Kids, yeah, uh, about children in show business. And it was the whole kind of thrust of that doc was to just try to create a conversation amongst child actors across time. So it's as if it's one interview from like 1910 to present, um, sort of as a collage through different actors, because all of our stories were ident- identical. I interviewed a woman who was 100 years old who had been a, a huge t- uh, silent movie child star. And we were laughing because our stories were al- literally almost identical in terms of our life trajectories and having to get out of the business for a while and kind of clear our heads and then come back later, which is really what I did. So. I wanted to direct when I was when I was nine. I started making movies like a lot of people. I was talking to Edgar about this yesterday. A lot of filmmakers start making movies really young. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're a parent, you got a kid that's like making stuff on their iPhone or whatever, there's, and it's good or even decent. There's a good chance they may keep doing that. You know, um, so that's how I st- I didn't really have any revelations at film school. Uh, I was mostly wanting to soak up as much as I could there, and I needed to, I, I was paying my way through school. Like, I didn't come from a family with money, so um, I was, like, doing commercials. I was doing anything I could acting-wise to keep paying my rent and my, my tuition, and that's how I ended up in Death Wish 3. Um, it was literally my summer job between sophomore and junior year, mm-hmm. and uh, it was what paid for my, my junior year. So um, I let Michael Winter almost kill me um, in order to be able to stay at NYU. <laughs> Most people get jobs like doing fast food or mowing <laughs> lawns or whatever on their summer vacation. But that's a, if, you, if you're ever faced with the choice, well, he's dead now. But if you had been faced with the choice between a restaurant <laughs> job like as a fry cook and working for Michael Winter, I would argue vigorously to take the former and avoid the latter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so who was here last night for Death Wish? It was... Uh, it was quite an experience. It was a bl- it really the, was fun. Edgar Wright uh, moderated it. He knows the film really well, and he's been asking me to do a Q&A around it for a long time. Um, and he said, the only caveat is you have to actually sit with me and watch the movie. And, <laughs> you know, I don't watch my own. I really don't watch my own films. It's not like false. Mo- I really just don't like watching them. So, um, and I've seen them a lot. By the time I've cut them, I've, I've seen them so many times. But I did watch it, and I was like, oh, this is actually really good in, in, a, in a parodic shambolic way yeah <laughs> including uh print breaking because that's just what happens here sometimes <laughs> yeah, yeah but it was like it was authentic you know the whole experience um so yeah like was it was it just weird looking back on that experience and having it all was i have a really small back? part but i was out I was, we shot it in england and i was out here for a really long time doing it and it was a really fun summer um and I made a lot of really good friends, and I was working on a lot of NYU film projects while I was here, so I was just kind of doing work and shipping it back um, to to the States. But 
my focus at that time was really not on, on act. I mean, it's not, it's not an acting role, you know. It really isn't. I mean, I'm basically just standing around trying to look tough, and I don't ever look tough no matter what I do. So, um, because I'm not, I think, as it happens. Um, and you're also meant to be a Mexican gang member. Yeah, supposed to be. My name is Hermosa, and I'm a, I, in the script description, I'm a wild-eyed Mexican, rabid, wild-eyed Mexican uh, uh, drug fiend. Um, <laughs> And uh, I really couldn't really identify with too much of that from a method standpoint. But, um, but to be fair, I mean, look, I bag on Winter all the time. I mean, he, was, he had made movies that I really loved. He was, not, he was not a terrible director. He was just a really crazy person. Um, this is a terrible movie, so don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> but, uh, but he made some really great movies, and he did have talent, and he was really smart, and he was really knowledgeable. And there were things about working with him that were, were really satisfying. Um, and so there was an element of it. I don't want to be so flippant that like, you know, to be 19 and working, there was a John Stan. There was a lot of really big crew people on that that were, were I learned a lot from being on set. Um, and even some stuff Michael did, I learned from. Um, so it was a really, you know, it was, if I was going to do a job to be able to be on a movie set was pretty special. It then got completely blown away the following summer when I got Lost Boys, though, because that just yeah. elevated the game so intensely in terms of my education because um, that was Michael Chapman who shot Raging Bull and that was Bo Welch and that was Joel and it was Richard Donner and it was like Harvey Bernhard would produce Goonies and this incredible cast and again I kind of had this small part um, I had more to do and I had to actually act I had to figure out what I was doing with this character but um, I really just kind of hung around that set soaking it up uh, from a filmmaking standpoint and that was like boot camp. These were like the best of the best of the best, basically. Yeah. I mean, what was Schumacher like? I mean, because that's just I mean, such an I don't think I would have acted again if it wasn't for Joel. Yeah. I really thought I was done, you know, um, uh, when I finished doing the Broadway stuff. And I was really just doing it for money through college. And Death Wish 3 was not an acting job. So, um, uh, you know, he really instilled a lot of confidence in me through the audition process. And... Uh, it was very influential for me and very, you know, sort of a helpful mentor to have. It was just like, look, you can do this film stuff whenever you want, but you shouldn't stop acting if at all possible. You should just keep going. Uh, and that sort of kept me going through Bill and Ted. And by the time I'd finished the Bill and Ted, that was like four or five years later, I really, I really did need a break from yeah. my mental health at that <laughs> point. So. Well, Alex has uh, been such a champ this entire weekend, and uh, he told a story last night during the Lost Boys Q&A. Uh, about how he's just always on time and he's and not on time, but he's early and he's been really early for us and he's been like here. We've never been like, oh my God, where's Alex? When we're <laughs> ready to go, he's always ready to go. He's always here on, in perfect time. But one of the things that he was early for was the costumes. Right. And this is where this beautiful jacket, <laughs> one of the coolest jackets yeah. in cinema history. And also just like, I mean like, I, I think about like, oh man, could you imagine like if Kiefer was upset about, but I, I well, Kiefer can't, wanted to be in all black. I yeah. Think I can't imagine imperative, him, So I, like, yeah. you can't imagine David without that cool duster anyway, yeah. but, but you got in before the other guys and look yeah. at this thing. They were all pretty pissed. I will say that, but I mean, we were young <laughs> scrappy. Guys. I mean, we were all really close. We got close really fast on that movie. The, mostly the four of us, cause we were together all the time. Um, and, and, uh, Jason, but, uh, but yeah, Susie Becker, who's a genius. I mean, Joel, Joel was a, a brilliant costumer in his own right. And he came out of the fashion world, and he had been Woody Allen's 
costume designer for all the great Woody Allen movies through the 70s, and then he started directing. Uh, so he had an extraordinary eye for fashion, for set design, for lighting. He just had like, he, you know, he could have been directing opera in another era, basically. He just had a really impeccable, yeah. uh, impeccable taste in all those core departments. Um, and so Susie Becker, he, he had really specific, specific direction for her and then said, just take that and go wild. And she's a very brilliant costume designer. She's married to Harold Becker, who's the great film director. And I got there early and she was like, you're a lucky bastard because you can basically take whatever you want and you're <laughs> going to take that jacket because it's the coolest thing that I've ever made in my career. And I was like, you're damn right I'm taking yeah. that. So it was all laid out on the floor. All the clothes for Lost Boys were just laid out on the floor in her office and she was just to take whatever you want. Now, why that led me to take the assless chaps, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I, I actually thought about that last night. I was like, wait a minute, if this was actually all my decision, what the hell was I thinking? Maybe I mean, she foisted was, that on me. It was the 80s. Yeah, but know. I wasn't that guy. <laughs> I mean, I was the guy in the punk rock t-shirt with the black leather. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like a New York like punk rock film student. I wasn't like a glam band dude. I was mortified when they put extensions on me. You know? Yeah, but you guys were hanging out and trying to just see. I mean, you were talking about like hanging out with like all the guys and just chasing girls. and. Well, it was a, it was a, a summer time, of being so. whatever, 20 years old in a giant... You know, for me, a big Hollywood movie in Santa Cruz, going to bed at, at you know, seven in the morning and getting up at, at eight or at nine at night every day, you know, blankets taped over our window. We had to. We were you just were vampires? Yeah. I mean, that was, we were shooting nights every night. We were on motorcycles up and down the boardwalk every night. Um, and there was always a giant crowd out there. And we were young, scrappy guys. It was a yeah. really, really fun shoot. I mean, it was, it was. It was fairly debauched, but it was fun. <laughs> it was the it was the height of the '80s. It was kind of the apex of that really, you know, of that crazy, crazy time before yeah. things really got dark. Actually, and yeah, then sort of plateaued. I mean, I, I just feel like The Lost Boys is just such a like a pillar of '80s movie history. I mean, there's so many good movies from the '80s, but like. It's such an important piece of like vampire history as well. It's just an incredible film. Joel Schumacher is amazing, and like you said, he's like his costumes look brilliant. I don't even care. People want to hate on the bat nips. I'm a defender. I don't care. They're great. Give me more bat nips. That's what was missing from the most recent one. It needed more bat nips. <laughs> it's three hours long and no bat nips. Um, all right. Well, one last thing on the Lost Boys. I, I mean. I love the two Corys, and I just wanted to hear any fun two Corys stories because I, I just imagine they were probably getting up. I was to about to tell someone, and I realized people are filming this, and so it's going to end up. Turn on your the cameras internet. off. <laughs> right. What can I say that won't get me in trouble? Um, look, they were really young. Uh, they were really deer in the headlights. Yeah. Um, uh, they were really lovely. Um, I was really worried about both of them. Yeah. Uh, Jameson was fine. You know, he's still fine. I see him fairly regularly. and um, But they were clearly kind of like in a very glaring spotlight. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they were flying high on a trapeze without a net at a very young age. And, uh, you know, I'd been, in, I'd been on Broadway, like I'd been in Times Square at 13, 14, 15, height of the disco era, up until four. I mean, like I'd lived that. But I had parental supervision to, to a degree. But... Um, but I was worried about him. I mean, I, you know, I'd love to just be sort of whimsical and anecdotal, but uh, I was kind of like the den dad on that shoot. Um, 
and just kind of made sure they got to bed and, <laughs> and that they were okay. And uh, but I remember coming out of that. I think I wrote. I think I flew back from Santa Cruz with Corey Feldman, and just had kind of the talk. You know what I mean? Um, just like, okay, I've been where you're at. Please be careful. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but there's only so much you can do, you know, yeah. I mean, I wasn't his dad. So, uh, I love, I mean, I, you know, what happened to Haim is, is unbelievably tragic. Yeah. Uh, and it's not altogether surprising, which makes it even more tragic. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was it, but we had, we had a lot of laughs. We all got along great. Loved those guys. It was super fun. There were lots of goofy stories, but it was sort of, you know, there was a bit of an overcast of, of concern on my part. Yeah. Well, they also sent you to the hospital too, didn't they? Yeah, they, but that was all those little <laughs> buggers. That was an accident. Yeah, and my death scene, they all, they, I had to fly from the ceiling into, into this mound of dirt, and it was like a stunt man, and then a body double, and then me, and with these giant, like, rock-hard contact lenses, which is how they were in the 80s. Now they're, like, super light, and you don't even feel them. Uh, and all the Corys just, like, kicking dirt into my face <laughs> while I'm screaming, and uh, they scratched my cornea and sent me to the hospital, so... That was oh. super fun. Yeah. All right. Do you guys want to see something kind of silly? Yeah. All right. So, Tom Stern, you, you, well, you, you've been like out in LA. You went out to do this film, The Lost Boys. Tom Stern eventually sort of makes his way out, and you guys start getting the band back together, if you will, to make some more movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. Some of the people that you met along the way were the butthole surfers. Mm -hmm. We started doing music videos. Uh, really early like even in college mm -hmm. and uh we were doing like big music videos and then we were doing like more renegade avant-garde stuff we did videos for the chili peppers and ice cube and you know this is all like mid to late 80s and uh but we were also really big fans of the butthole surfers which is a, a kind of a sort of a punk band from that era not really but alt rock i guess you'd call it now um and uh, we actually wrote a movie with Gibby Haynes. Uh, we originally, what became Freaked, our movie Freaked, was originally like this down and dirty. We wrote it, to, we actually tried to get Ramey to produce it because uh, we had a couple of projects with Ramey at the time that he was trying to produce. And uh, it was like a, we wrote it to be like a $200,000 like punk rock horror movie basically yeah. with the butthole servers is like a family of cannibals that that turn people into freaks um <laughs> and we wrote it with gibby and it was going to be all their music throughout uh and so we made a short film that was just a, it was actually it's a, actually a music video yeah uh, with a story wrapped around yeah. it uh, actually i teed that up a little too early because i did have a couple of clips of your music videos i mean you guys oh, did okay. red hot chili peppers i forgot i added this in kind of at the last minute um, so yeah, you did a red hot chili pe a couple of red hot chili pepper videos. You were in one, right? I was in a couple, and we directed one. Yeah, I'm in higher. I'm in Knock Me Down and Higher Ground. Yeah, yeah. And then you also worked with this gentleman here, yeah. Ice Cube. Yeah, we did that one. Who's yeah. the Mac? Who yeah. was the Mac? Yeah, that's uh, DJ Pooh. He was a, a, a stalwart buddy of Cube's. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I used to see him in a lot of stuff with yeah. him, maybe. But yeah, what was Ice Cube like? He was great. I mean, I've seen him around. He's great. Yeah. He was great. I mean, even then, it was really clear that he was going to do just fine. He was really <laughs> smart. He was really entrepreneurial. Uh, we had a lot of fun. I mean, it was very, it was very, he was very, very professional. So there was nothing wacky about it. 
All right, what I initially meant to get to was because you you had mentioned basically you guys shot this like music video that was a bit like 10 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. I've got like a bit of a super cut of it. It's called Barbecue Movie or Entering Texas. Entering Texas, yeah. So enjoy this. Who's seen this before? Yeah, that's Oscar winner John Hawks actually is the lead in this. Yeah, John Hawks is in this. We made this for about a dollar fifty in Austin, Texas. That's John. <laughs> you could definitely see like some Raimi influence as well. It's everything. It's yeah. all of our crazy Gonzo style from that era. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about this. Special Grease. <laughs> what were you guys thinking? <laughs> we were young. <laughs> it's still funny. Yeah. There's Gibby Haynes. Here it comes. <laughs> the general. And then there's a music video for yeah. like 10 minutes. It's just chaos. <laughs> it's so cool though. I mean, the butthole surfers are hilarious. I feel like I saw that like years ago. My friend was like a, like, you know, I was into punk rock and stuff and my mm -hmm. friend was a big butthole surface fan. And he, I believe he showed it to me, but I had no idea that you had anything to do with it. Right. You know, so it, like coming back to doing this and then like just rediscovering that was just a blast from the past. That's awesome. I once had a teacher who uh, tried to sell me a butthole surfers CD. She was about 70 years old wore a motorcycle like you know jacket and uh, drove a harley to school right and saw that i was wearing a leather coat one day and was just like hey i got a cd you might want and i was like what's that she was like it's the butthole surfers <laughs> <laughs> uh and she never brought it to work right. so i never yeah, she I never got to lose to her job it. i'm sure all right so next up of course these lovely fellas <laughs> What was it like meeting Keanu Reeves? Uh, I mean, we were just two young goofuses, you know. Um, we were, he had come in from Toronto, I'd come in from New York. Uh, we were very, very new to LA. Uh, found each other in like first day of auditions and I had a motorcycle helmet and he had a motorcycle helmet and uh, we both played bass. And I think like even around the first audition, we just went off and jammed double bass. So we were two morons from the get go. Um, <laughs> And uh, we became, the audition process took so long, we just became friends over the audition process, not even knowing we were going to end up playing the parts together. Yeah. 
the way the Bill and Ted audition process went, which was not orthodox, was we just kept getting paired off with other people. Yeah. So, you know, he'd be doing different roles, you'd be working with different actors, and it just took months and months and months and months and months until they pared it down to the two of us. Um, and it was kind of circular, because we'd started out somewhat together in the early auditions, and then we sort of got broken off, and we were with all these other people, and we sort of ended up kind of back together again. Um, but by then, we were really close friends, so. Mm -hmm. This is this weird process. We were like, oh, we're actually going to go do this movie together now. But, um, you know, I just think we had both come from somewhat similar backgrounds. Uh, he, was, he had done a lot of theater and had come from a similar family to me. Um, and when you're young and in Hollywood and you're on the kind of the audition circuit, it's, uh, you're often seeing the same people, you know, the same sort of five people in the waiting room for the same part every day. Uh, and in our case, it was just like finding a kindred spirit a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah, just yeah. a very high pressure environment. And uh, so we sort of were friends from that circuit. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of like forced into it, but like it's just, it works anyway because you're just very, you know, like you said, kindred spirits. Just, yeah. It just yeah. makes sense. We just had a rapport. So yeah. it was, you know, it was, uh, and we also, I think, had a really similar way of coming at the characters. I think that was as far as the parts went. Um, you know, it, it was, it was a time when, I said this earlier. It was a time when, when you know, if you were a young actor, a lot of the roles were really terrible and really not very well written and not very intelligent. And the sort of goofy teen comedies were kind of tawdry and lame, and uh, or they were sort of the John Hughes knockoffs, and you know there was no sort of innocence or fun or physicality. Mm -hmm. uh, and because we both came from theater, we were both sort of innately physical actors, but. We also didn't play it. Uh, we didn't play it arch. We just both came. We do, took the guys really seriously, and uh, and played and that, without conferring with each other. We just both came at them that way, um, and that's how we played them all the way through the series. Yeah, you know, we just we just believe that they that they're real, and you know we care about them, and uh, it's not really a wink and a nod at the audience. So for the people who don't like Bill and Ted, that's probably what they. I mean, it's like. There's no escape hatch like there is for like uh, Wayne and Garth. You know, we're like, ah, they're just effing around, you know. It's like, no, if you don't like Bill and Ted, you're really not going to like Bill and Ted. Because <laughs> we're, we're just going to play that. We're going to commit like fully. So, um, and I get it. It's not for everybody. That's fine. <laughs> well, one of the people that you auditioned with uh, prior to properly getting uh, cast with Keanu was uh, Polly Shore. I mean, we auditioned with everybody. Honestly, yeah. God, it was every single young actor in town. So, I mean, sure, it was Polly, but to be fair, it was really everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, we knew Polly from Polly was uh, his mom ran the comedy store, and he was sort of comedy royalty, to be honest yeah. with you, uh, and Hollywood royalty. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I did it with we did it with Polly, um, and then you know, Polly had kind of his shtick that he was developing, which seems similar in some ways, is very actually very very different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we auditioned for, I mean, it was with everybody. You can find the video. I don't have it queued up, but you can find a video of Alex and Polly together. It's pretty fun to watch. Cause you, like you said, it does seem like Polly's just starting to get that like, Hey, yeah. like, you know, like a hey, buddy sort of character. Yeah. I don't know if many of you guys know Polly Shore. I know it doesn't always translate over here, but I'm from America as well. If you can't tell. And you know, son-in-law is a big, a big deal. Um, and a lot of his other films. Um, but here's some like photos that you found recently uh, and shared on Twitter mm -hmm. from your private archive. They're pretty cool. Um, what was it like working with George Carlin? 
Uh, it was amazing. Um, you know, I, I had worked with some pretty big stars in, in theater by then, so I wasn't easily starstruck. Yeah. Um, and I was like a tongue-chewing gimp around George because um, he was really kind of beyond a star. He was like this, you know, if you grew up in the 70s in the States especially, he was like this giant, right? He was like a, like a philosophical giant. Yeah. So it wasn't like meeting another actor. It was like meeting this giant guy, you know, who had done the seven dirty words and like all these, like you knew all of his records by heart. It's like Richard Pryor or someone mm -hmm. who he just knew all of it, right? You need like you, you meet someone and you feel like you have their entire catalog in your head, like photo reel. And, uh, and we had, you know, Bill and Ted was a little bitty movie made by very young people who had no power and nobody had any confidence in that film and no one cared about it and the names that were getting floated around for Rufus were really terrible and Keanu and I were really getting nervous because we were well into shooting when they hired George and every week they'd come up with some other horrendous Rufus idea we'd be like oh god you know this movie's going <laughs> down in flames um, and then we, there's a George Carlin suddenly shows up yeah. we're like holy shit you know wow now we, our game has got to get good you know that's yeah. how we felt it's like we had to kind of get up to George's level um, and he's just real he was very modest he'd only acted in one very small part before that um, he was not an actor he admittedly wasn't an actor he was like I'm here to learn I want to do more acting I want to sort of see how it works so he was very curious uh, and very modest um, and very gentle, you yeah. know, kind of the inverse of his his stage persona. Yeah, which is just really intense. Yeah, but. he's not. I mean, there's an intensity to George. There always was. But it wasn't like, you know, I've met Robin Williams or Jonathan Winters or people like that. And they're literally, they were identical off stage. Yeah. You know? Williams was just like, all go. Um, and George was super quiet, very reserved, very gentle. Just one of those people that can just turn it on. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. But you, you clarified something earlier about like Rufus' character because I was going to ask you about it, but you, you actually did say it in the earlier Q&A about the 28-year-old um, version of a Rufus that was in the original script. That yeah. you, it was going to be just a bro who was... Uh, yeah, it was like a dude who never got out of high school. Driving like a 28-year-old high school senior, basically, yeah. you know, who drove a van and the van went through time. And <laughs> it, the, the script was called Bill and Ted's Time Van. It was not called that by the time it got to me. By the time it got to me, they were well ensconced in their Doctor Who ripoff. But, but <laughs> originally, it was Bill and Ted. No, I'm just kidding. They, these guys did not know what Doctor Who so I'm from here. You know, like I've got friends who worked on Doctor Who in the six. Like I, when I was five, I was like looking at Daleks at BBC, you know. Um, so I was totally versed in it. But yeah. they were like, what? What is that? I think oh, it's Jesus. still like, no wonder the, the Brits hate Americans so much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what do you mean, man? It's not over here. It doesn't exist. You yeah. Know? I think it's still pretty niche in America as no, well. No, it's not. No, I mean, no, no, it, you no. know, not I guess since the reboots. No, no. With the internet huge. and stuff, it's bigger. Not even the but. internet. It's not. It, the, the new, the revamped versions, going back a ways now, yeah. have been giant. But the sort of scarf wearing Doctor Who I grew up with. Is, is wholly unknown in the mm -hmm. U.S. And I would argue most people in the U.S. don't know Doctor Who pre the kind of rebooty Doctor yeah. Who of the last decade or so. Yeah, which, to be fair, I haven't been around for the last decade. I've been over here, so. Right. Yeah, yeah I don't it's, know it's, what's it's going big on over, over there. there. Yeah. From all I see, it's just Trump and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so next stop, it's uh, you guys make another Bogus Journey. 
Yeah, so, um, and all this time I'm directing, like this is when we started doing music videos, Tom and I had a, a show on MTV called The Idiot Box uh, that John was also in, John Hawks and a bunch of great actors, and uh, uh, so we were doing kind of our own thing, uh, filmmaker-wise by then, and uh, I didn't think we were going to make another Bill and Ted, because Bill and Ted 1 got scrapped and ended up on a shelf, and we were told it was not going to ever get released, and it was done, it was over. And then a little company bought it out of bankruptcy and put it, and then it just took off. So it was a, a total surprise. It was late. It was a well, well after a year and change after it was supposed to come out uh, that it eventually came out. So I'd written it off. In fact, I was making Entering Texas in Austin the weekend that Bill and Ted One came out. Yeah. And it was a real watershed moment for me because I'd give. I was just filmmaking, you know, and auditioning and stuff, but not really that serious about about acting and. and um, I remember walking into like a diner and everyone in the diner stopped and looked at me and I was like, oh, holy shit. And it was it was the weekend that, that Bill and Ted opened and it opened really big. Um, and it completely changed my life. Like from then on, my life was completely different. And uh, and so I started dealing with the fact that I was now kind of known um, and had to kind of navigate what I was going to do with that. And I was sort of ambivalent about it. I kind of didn't want to I didn't really want it in a way. I, I was really happy about the success of Bill and Ted, but I didn't really like the public attention. Yeah. Um, and uh, so when they came to us for, for Bill and Ted 2, Keanu and I were both kind of like, I don't know, like, do we need, like, and he and I were really tight at that point. He was often like total movie star by then, yeah. you know, um, and really cooking with gas in that, in that way and very focused on that career. And I was really just shooting music videos and commercials and focused on getting a feature off the ground as a director. And uh, we were just like, uh, I don't know. And we had a dinner with Chris and Ed, the writers, and they were like, look, the studio wants us to make a movie where now you go to England and get historical figures. Well, like, they had a really imaginative idea for the sequel, right? Um, they would have really pissed off the Doctor Who. Now, that would have really added salt. <laughs> we have to see this blue box. That you, um, and... Uh, and we were like, oh, I don't know. They were like, don't worry. We don't want to do that either. And they pitched us this. And they were like, we've got an idea for a movie called Bill and Ted Go to Hell. You die on page 12. We were just like, what? There's no phone booth. There's no time travel. We were like, we're so in. Like, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's my favorite movie of the, of the trilogy. I think it's amazing, that movie. Um, Peter Hewitt directed it, yep. a fellow Brit. Um, amazing crew. Really ballsy script. Um, you know, I get to play my grandmother. I love acting in prosthetic makeup. I really do. It's something probably wrong with me. Um, and I just think it's a great movie. I really yeah. do. It's like I like Bill and Ted One a lot. I much much prefer Two. And um, it was more fun to act in. I felt it was a better script in some ways. It was a more imaginative script. Much more my sense of humor. Um, and then off of that, it, we ended up sort of propelling into making our own. Finally, into making our own film. Uh, which was freaked. Yeah. Um, quickly before we move towards. Yeah. Oh yeah, I don't freaked. mean to rush you through yeah. this. I mean, I'll, oh, no, I'll no. get to like where I'm at right yeah. now with my kid in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I became 55, 56 years old, and you know, <laughs> I don't know what happened. What was it like working with uh, William Sadler's death? Because he had just come off of like Die Hard. I mean, too, it right? was it was it's just great. It's like and it's great when you're like when you're young and I mean this is again it's gonna sound falsely modest but it's exhausting carrying it's like it's hard carrying a movie and it's stressful right mm -hmm. um, it's not say you don't want to do it like we it's also really fun and gratifying it's not all negative it's just hard um, so when you've got someone like Sadler which we did we didn't really have anything like this on Bill and Ted we kind of had it with Terry who played Napoleon 
Um, but there was less sort of interaction in a way because he kind of veers off into a subplot from us. But with, with Sadler, it, he was so good and so seasoned that we were just like, awesome. Like we've got someone else who's sort of like holding the weight of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew when we did that scene with him and the way that Hewitt had designed it, the sort of Bergman knockoff thing that we do where we play all the games with him, we knew that was going to be a great scene. And it was just because of, of Peter, to put credit where it's due, the way he had designed it, but it's just Billy's scene. Yeah. And he just kills it, you know? Yeah, he um, came up with a lot of his stuff as well, right? Like well, just I mean, he's ad-libbing like, like crazy, and, and he's just fantastic, you know? And he was also... You know, like I said, and I don't expect it. It's not even necessarily always my cup of tea. I don't expect everyone to love Bill and Ted movies. Right? Yeah. They're really specific. If you don't, I get it. They're incredibly silly and gratingly annoying in a way that we <laughs> like, right? <laughs> it's kind of trolling movies. Yeah. Um, especially, too, where we really are just like evil Bill and Ted are just up in everyone's shit all yeah. the time. So Joss Ackland hated us. I mean, he hated us. And I mean, he hated like us personally. Like, not the characters. Not in character. Um, whereas Sadler was just all in. Yeah. You know? Um, and working with him on three was very, very... I mean, I've known Billy really well all these years. Billy's in Freaked, and, like, we see each other and everything. But to, like, to have Bill and Ted and Death reunite, it yeah, was really, it was, really great. I mean, it was, it was like really the highlight. To see. Just the whole shoot. It, was, it took us several days to, to knock that sequence out, and it was, like, just the... Th- I mean, the rest of the crew could care less. Like, they're there yeah. to work, which is fine. They should be, but, like... Me and Billy and Keanu were just like, God damn, this is so good to be like <laughs> Bill and Ted and death again, you know? Yeah. All right, well, you mentioned School of Death and how that kind of was, well, you guys made it while you were still in school. Yeah. And you and Tom Stern had gotten it onto cable TV, and that's where it caught the eyes of the legendary director, Sam Raimi. Uh, and then you mentioned that you were able to, you know, develop a couple of projects. Not all of them came through, but one thing that did come through was the MTV series Idiot Box, which yeah. is here a little bit of a trailer for. Is that Lee Ehrenberg there as the clown? All right, so really quick on the idiot box. So, so Bill and Ted did really well, and MTV uh, called me in and asked me if I would I would guest VJ the entire afternoon slot as Bill. To which I said, no effing way. <laughs> However, I have this script. Uh, and we, I, we had an anthology comedy that we wrote for Sam Raimi and his producing partner, Rob Tappert. That, and literally, me and Tom and Sam and Rob had been going like studio to studio for months trying to sell this thing. And nobody wanted it. And it was this incredibly violent sketch comedy movie. It was an anthology comedy. And nobody wanted to make an anthology comedy at that point. So sort of off the cuff when I was in the meeting with MTV, it was like, we've got a sketch comedy show. Like, could we do that? We sent them the script. We broke the script up so it looked like a TV show because it was really just a movie. Um, and they were like, sure. You know, we're going to basically pay you nothing. I mean, or like next to nothing. Um, but you can do whatever you want. We don't, we're new uh-huh. in the live action space. So they basically, it was very violent. 
uh, very off the wall, and <laughs> eventually became our first feature film, which was Freak, which was like made by all of the same cast and, and writers. So, um, so that's what we did after, after uh, Bill and Ted 2. I kind of wanted to wind the acting down uh, and focus on directing for a while. And uh, so I ended up playing the main character, which is kind of the throwaway role, funnily enough. The real role is Randy Quaid's role. <laughs> he's amazing in it. Um, but it was really a great experience. We got to do pretty much whatever we wanted and, and made this big, crazy cult movie. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly like just one of the weirdest movies, but it's really cool. I mean, I, I, I think it's just like a, it's just like chaos, but like almost this weird controlled chaos, but it's yeah. just really cool. Everything just is so like just real about it because there's just, there's so much practical effects in it. So many crazy costumes and, uh, special effects and makeup and all that. It's just things you don't really see anymore. Yeah. It was, it was like an attempt to make sort of put. Looney Tunes or Max Fleischer or Zap Comics or, you know, uh, the, the, the weirder end of Mad Magazine on celluloid, basically. Yeah. And it also has one of the craziest casts. Yeah. So we have Brooke Shields, Mr. T, and Bobcat Goldwaite there. As a sock. Yeah, he's As the sock a sock. Hey, has everyone seen that or has anyone not seen it? It's hard to see. So, yeah, Keanu's the dog boy. Yeah. He's covered in hair. Ortiz the dog boy. Yep. Yeah, and then I have this insane makeup on, which was done by Bill Corso, who, um, Kevin Yeager, who did the granny makeup for Bill and Ted 2, and Bill Corso, who did that, both did the makeup for Bill and Ted 3. And they're two of the greatest makeup effects uh, designers in history, really. I mean, Bill is an Academy Award winning guy, and, and, uh, and we worked together quite closely. But that makeup is absolutely groundbreaking, what he did. How long did that take to get on? It took uh, about five to six hours to put on and about two hours to take off. And keep in mind, I was co-directing. Yeah. So uh, the schedule was crazy. And um, I was not getting any sleep at all. Uh, it was all done on sound stages. We built these big sets. Catherine Hardwick, who went on to direct Twilight, was Woo! our production designer. Uh, we had a really great crew. And uh, eventually I started sleeping in it. <laughs> so that I could save time, which was really a trip driving to work. It's freaking out people on the motorway. Yeah, pretty much. All right, well, we're going to start wrapping up here, and then we'll try to get into some audience questions. Um, but, like, of course, you've had, like, this crazy career before, and now you basically just turned largely to directing. Yeah. And you got to make Fever mm -hmm. with Henry Thomas, and Terry Hatcher and Bill Duke will go. Yep. And we got to show it. I don't know if anyone was here for Fever. I was a couple of people. But yeah, unfortunately, it did. The DCP <sighs> had a problem. Died. Yeah, but they're going to show it again. But, yeah, we're going to try yeah. to get it in the program again. Yeah. So keep an eye out. Um, but then you largely went into directing. Uh, well, if you can see from here, there's 1999. And then there's this long gap. But you were very busy. You were on TV doing stuff like working behind the scenes. You did some like... <clears throat> Uh, was his, is was Martin his here? Did you make it? There you are. Hey, so the gap was here. So basically I did, I, after I finished Freaked, I didn't want to act anymore and it was really hard to not act if I was living in LA because mm -hmm. everyone there, all my reps there wanted me to act. So I left and I moved to New York and I uh, co-founded a production company here in London, right down the street. And I shot commercials out of the UK um, for that whole 
period. And I really just wanted it to get sharp. I just, I had spent so much time in front of the camera and so much less time than I wanted to behind the camera since I'd gotten out of film school. I just wanted to shoot. And I also wanted to kind of get away from, I'd been in the industry nonstop since I was 10 years old. And now that I'm a dad, I'm like, that's, that's just not healthy, right? But I knew, thankfully, internally that it wasn't healthy. Um, you know, I talked before about like what happened to Corey Haim. I had a lot of friends who went down in flames around yeah. that time who had started really young. I really did not want to do that. So I got out and I left LA and I got out of the industry. I actually fired my acting agents. Um, and I got rid of all my reps who I've, I'm still on really good terms. With all those folks, my acting manager I've had since I was 17 years old, but um, I, I sort of bounced between New York and London for years and I just shot. I mean, you and I shot tons of stuff together. So, and I was shooting for the European market. So we were shooting all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, largely, you know, I did National Lottery. I did Weetabix. I, I mean, I did tons of commercials here. And, uh, and it was absolutely amazing. I'm, you know, I was born here. I'm a British citizen. It's always been kind of a second home to me. The crews in this country are in incredible. I came over here. I was doing music videos. And I came over here in the early 90s to do a Ronnie Jordan video that we shot at, in Cafe de Paris. I was talking to Edgar Wright about this last night. And I, you know, I've been working for years by then as a director doing music videos. And I was, you know, this is really, this is no smoke. It like caused me to move. The crews were so infinitely better in London than any crew I'd ever worked with. that I was like, oh, I'm just gonna come here and learn. Um, and the other thing about advertising in that era, and I think it's similar here still, the U.S. was not like this at all. Was it was very filmmaker-driven. So if you did a commercial in those days, they brought you on in prep. Sometimes you were helping to write them. You were directing them. Then you were on through all the posts. Whereas in America, it'd be like, here's the storyboards. I'll see you on set. Now go away. Mm -hmm. You're not even an edit. Um, so it was like a boot camp for me. I really just didn't want to do anything other than, A, have some time away from the business, and B, shoot as much as I could and learn as much as I could. And it was a really fertile period. And I made some really great relationships. And I then converted, by then I kind of knew a lot more about my voice and what I wanted to do. And I realized I was really interested in topical stories, stories yeah. about what's going on in the world right now. Um, and I wrote a movie about Napster for uh, Paramount Studios around the time I was doing these commercials. Uh, and I met the guys from Napster as they were getting sort of crushed by the record industry. And I was very interested in, in technology and what it was about to do to the world for good and ill. Um, and I didn't want to not tell the story and that studio script, which is very common, the entire team at Paramount that had brought me in got fired. So it went into turnaround, which just means it's just a nice way of saying it's never going to get made. Um, and I didn't want to not make it, so I thought, you know, it would be really easy to make as a doc, because I knew everybody, because I'd written the script. And I got downloaded off the ground. I was so happy with the way that turned out. I just kept, kept making docs. And I basically created a production company around documentary films. And so... No matter what else I'm doing, because I'm, I'm starting to act again, like I'm doing a couple of movies this summer as an actor, uh, but now I'm making usually one to two docs a year, and I've been doing that for like 11, 12 years now. Yeah, and speaking of which, in one of the most recent years, we had two come out with Zappa and Showbiz Kids, which yeah. you previously mentioned, which are both great. I mean, we're going to show Zappa tonight. If anyone doesn't have a ticket you still have a chance to come see it yeah. for the first time on the big screen? Uh, or at least it was at here the Barbican. The uh, oh, yeah, the, that's the right. Barbican did yeah. a screening a few weeks ago, but it's not easy, you know, because of COVID, it's not easy, yeah. it's easy to see theatrically. So, um, but it's on the BBC player. It's been, you know, they did a big 
big push for it. It's, yeah. it's very easy to see in, in the UK. Yeah. So it's still on the player. Showbiz Kids is also great as well. Um, it's got a great soundtrack as well with Jeff it's Tweedy. It's all Jeff Tweedy. Yeah, it's, it's all Jeff Tweedy originals. Yeah. Yeah. I've stumbled across Jeff Tweedy. I obviously knew yeah. Wilco, but like stumbled across him at a uh, festival that I was at, the End of the Road Festival, and they have a secret stage. And we were running the cinema tent there one year, and he was playing. And we'd walk from the cinema through the woods to the bigger stages, and he was just out in the middle of the woods playing on a stage. Yeah. And we went and just like saw him, and I fell like in love with his I mean, music. He's arguably, he's you know one of the greatest songwriting yeah. talents that we have right now. Um, and it was really great because my son goes to art school in Chicago, and they're based in Chicago. So when yeah. I went there to score. We all went over, and they're just amazing, amazing guys so well we're wrapping up here because also last year you were very busy sort of well the last couple of years All right here we here go we <laughs> the band's back together yeah yeah well they never broke up they were just yeah. still trucking bill and ted <laughs> what was it like 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 that story coming to your guys's way i know you I'll were going it, for I'll a make, long time i'll make it quick it is yeah. a, it's a long story because it took 15 years to yeah. make we you know we didn't want to make a second one. We really didn't want to make a third one, right? So, um, and Keanu and I are, are really close. Uh, he's sort of like a brother to me, basically. And so I sort of like track what he's doing. He tracks what I'm doing. He narrated a documentary for me a few years ago. Yep. And we're working on a documentary together right now. Um, well, we hadn't acted together since, since uh, Freaked, actually. After Bogus Journey, we did Freak together. But, um, and we've always been trying to think of what we could do. And he knew that I, w I started training for acting again about 10 years ago, sort of thinking I would start to kind of come added, adding some of that back into my life. So I, I needed to get good again. So, um, or good for me, don't worry. <laughs> I don't mean good. I mean like good. Um, so uh, the writers pitched us this take over dinner at my house. We were just hanging out because we're all friends. And we were like, oh, this is actually, an, it's a really, really good idea. Um, because it allowed us to be two fifty some odd year old guys uh, who whose lives didn't go where they thought. I mean, it just let Bill and Ted have an actual adult path. Yeah, um, it wasn't sort of like baking us in loose sight like a lot of sequels would do. Like here they are again, twenty five years later, and they're yeah. exactly the same. We we're like, no, we don't want to do that, right? And the writers didn't want to do that at all. Like they that's that would be horrible. So we just thought the idea had legs, but then. They went and wrote a script which was really, really good, and just nobody, nobody wanted to make it. Nobody wanted to make it. And a, a well over a decade went by before, and they kept working on the script and actually making it better and better and better, which was a good thing, because it's a complicated uh, movie. Um, and then I think I said this earlier at the Bill and Ted screening, but then the fans started, they caught wind that we were trying to make it, and they got, you guys, everyone got very vocal, like very vocal. and. MGM eventually came to us and they're like, look, there's this huge demand for your movie. We're like, no shit. We've been telling you this for like a dozen years because like, we know we have a big fan base, right? Yeah. And uh, we tried to explain this to them and they're like, yeah, like not just US, international. Like, yeah, like we told you when we first came in in like 2009, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they, went, then, they, then they got really behind. Now they're like, they were great. I mean, they did a great job promoting it. It was super fun to make. Um, it was not, we weren't cavalier. I mean, I worked really hard to figure out how to come back to this guy. Um, and, uh, and so did Keanu. And, and we were not like cocky thinking this was going to be a walk in the park and we were just going to go out and nail these guys. We had to really wrap our heads around it. 
Um, and we had really specific ideas about how they were going to co-function. And we knew that some of those ideas might not even please the fans. Like, we weren't going to be exactly like we were. Maybe they'd be like, oh, well, where's this attitude? Or there was that, you know, mannerism. And it's like, we just sort of committed to playing them a really specific way. And we let Ted be sad, which I thought was really ballsy. Yeah. And, um, and we just committed to it and said, screw it. Like, if people don't like... I mean, we're going to make something we think is, is fan service. Like, we didn't want to, like thumb our nose at the fans, yeah. right? We made what we thought was really kind of a heart of Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted movie. And then on top of that, we didn't take ourselves, take the movies too seriously. We weren't thinking we were making like a masterpiece or anything. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's just like the story though, like, I mean, from the beginning, Bill and Ted were basically just, just I don't know, just floored with so much pressure of being the, yeah, the duo ridiculous to amount of pressure. Army. Yeah, you like, have to save all of space time. Yeah. And you can't play, I mean, you can, you know, we learn to play, but it's like, it's all been kind of bestowed upon us. Yeah. But this so. is such a realistic outcome for anyone to yeah. like see themselves in that like, oh, you had so much potential, but you actually just didn't meet it. It yeah. just like it. Yeah. And not only that, but it's okay. Yeah. That's what I love about what they wrote. I mean, those guys are so, they're so damn good. But then they had um, some help as well. Yeah. But then we got like, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, not to be mawkish, but like being back on the set with Amy Stock and Hal Landon, that's Ted's dad, and, and Billy, and like, and a bunch of people behind the camera came back, Kevin Yeager, and a bunch of folks who worked on the first two came back, same producers and other people. It was pretty, I mean, and we're all like, you know, we're all, a lot of us are friends, and like, it's sort of the nicer end of the entertainment team. You know, like, they're all really nice people. Um, it was very heartwarming for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it was a really kind of love-in shoot, which was sweet. Uh, what do and you, it was hot as hell. It was New Orleans in the heat oh, of summer. Yeah, yeah. In full prosthetics. Where do you guys see like the future of Bill and Ted now that there's daughters involved? I mean, we don't, you know, we never do, we really don't do these movies. I mean, yeah. we're not, they're not studio movies. So there's never anyone on set going, hey, now when we do the Mattel toys and when we do like, you know, yeah. eight, nine, ten, there's no BTU, right? <laughs> there's no universe yeah right <laughs> there could be um i mean yeah there is obviously in terms of what the guys have written and what yeah. we've done but each one is a dogfight. like making making each one of these movies was a dogfight. there was no like okay let's roll into blah 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 uh so you know would we come back i mean you know the atti our attitude is always the same we like working together a lot um it's a lot of fun and yeah. we laugh a lot and we have a physical rapport that is very easy for both of us um, that we just fall kind of fall into in a way. Uh, it would have to be the same kind of thing. It would have to be a special enough idea that merits being done, even if it's small. And I don't mean grandiose or like, you know, thematically important or anything, just like a, a good movie. Like we'd have to know we could make a good movie. Yeah. Well, if you guys ever get that idea, you know who to hit up. Hit the groundswell. We'll start it here. Get the groundswell yeah, going. Yeah, there are ideas. Everybody wants to yeah, we'll see. see some more because we love you guys. All right. Well, that's it for that bit. Um, we have a couple of minutes left if you want to take a couple of questions, if anybody's got any questions at all. It's weird because... I don't think about it because it's just me and and you know I had a fairly small part in Lost Boys that was a huge part of my life so I was you know it was a year of shooting um, so it wasn't like a quick moment in my life I just have a kind of a small part right but um, 
it's weird when it's you because, you know, I've only made so many movies and a couple of them have really had legs in ways that you don't, you don't feel, you, you don't feel personally, like you don't, you have gratitude, but you don't feel like, well, I did that, right? You don't. It's, it's kind of detached from you in a way because it takes a life of its own. But then I have other actors, friends who've done films who, that haven't done that in that way or in other ways, right? So yes, the short answer is as I've gotten older, I, I do realize how unique that is to be part of a couple of projects that have had that kind of longevity. Um, I mean, and all you have is gra gratitude for it. Like, it, you know, I do find it funny, especially since I do like serious docs and I'm often at very serious film festivals where people are very snobby and they're like, oh, you know, I guess it, it sucks that you have to be Bill, <laughs> right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, it doesn't suck that I'm Bill, you know? And so even like in Free Keanu too, it's like, you know, with all the other stuff he's done, and for Ed, like, we laugh about it. Like, you know, hide a matrix. Like, Keanu would go to Korea, and they would be there, they'd be all there for, for Ted, you know? <laughs> and he would just laugh, you know, where the Wachowski would be like, what the fuck, you know? Um, so it's like, it's followed all of us around. And uh, I'd say especially Bill and Ted, right? Because it is, because Lost Boys was, it's a, it's, I think it's a really good movie. It's not necessarily the kind of movie I would normally have gone to see at that age. Um... But it was a big Hollywood movie that had an enormous market push and had a lot of A-list talent behind it. And Bill and Ted is all underdog, you know? So it's really, like, I, no lie, it's really the fans. Like, the fans have kind of breathed this life into it. Um, and that I'm really proud of, because then you feel like you're part of a collective. You know what I mean? You don't feel so much like your studio product that could kind of ram down everybody's throat. And I Lost Boys quality, like Joel, had, you know, I, I love him. I really do. Uh, but Bill and Ted really was like the little, the little train that was not supposed to. But the fans kind of made it, you know. And uh, so I think for Keanu, too, like when we're out together and like we're never like, oh, no, we don't want to. You know, it's like it's really cool when, they, when you have this thing that has this kind of international appeal in this kind of slightly off kilter way. Right. We're not Marvel or anything like that. Um, I think that's really sweet. And my kids, love, they think it's hilarious. Like wherever we go, people are running up to me and well before we did three, right? Um, and nothing really changed for three. Like I was already, I mean, I've been Bill's, that's what I was saying about doing the buttholes thing. I've been Bill's since 1988 or 89, nonstop, every day, wherever I go. So. <laughs> I, <laughs> All right, we can get maybe two more. Uh, if there's any advice that uh, you would like to give to screenwriters or filmmakers that you wish you could have gotten when you were younger and starting out. The industry's out. changed so much. I mean, you know, like the basic thing that I've realized, which is like, it's almost not like pointless advice, but people will, it's the kind of thing your parents tell you when you're a kid that you're just like, what? It's so simple or dumb or cliche that you don't listen to it. And then like 30 years later, you're like, oh shit, that's what I was supposed to be doing, right? And that's kind of it, because it, it, there is a tenacity, perseverance component to the industry. Um, because you, cause it, and it's not just about never giving up, which is a big part of it. But the more you work, the better you do tend to get. Uh, I think Stephen King, he's got that great book on writing. It's like one of the best books on like doing anything creative. And he talks about that, of just like, look, he's like, I'm, I wasn't Updike. I just worked all the time. 
like, and I'm not Stephen King, that guy's a genius, but he, he sort of refutes this idea of genius, and he's just like, just work and work and work and work, have a life, have life experience. I think that um, I was really nervous when I left the industry in, in 93, because everyone told me I was making a terrible decision. Um, and so I would look back now and go, you, did, you totally did the right thing. You know, I went and had a kid, I had a life, I got out of the industry, I wasn't just like trying to think about my next movie all the time. And so by the time I got back, I was really grounded and I was also gotten way better because I'd just done so much work. And, you know, so I think not being afraid of failure um, and just really working and not quitting. Most of the people that I know, really truly, most people I know that, that have not succeeded, they categorically quit. At some point, they just stop. And you can't. You're not going to succeed if you stop. All right, one more. Who wants it? All right, I'll give it. You guys both have had your hand up. Go ahead. Um, I guess obviously, you know, you started in 73. You and Keanu like each other. There's all these John Wick films. You know, would you ever see yourself sort of going toe to toe with Keanu and Leo in the John Wick world? Ooh. <laughs> Go toe to toe with Keanu in the John Wick world? Look at me. <laughs> I mean, sure. Like, I would, be, I would be like the cold open. I'd be, like the, I'd be like the beginning of Law and Order where like someone shows up and you realize they're going to be dead within 15 seconds and then the whole rest of it's going to be about who killed them. I'd be that guy. Yeah. Making a documentary about what? I don't think so. I think I'm too close to it. I mean, someone did ask me if I wanted to sort of like do a doc on Bill and Ted while we were making Bill and Ted, and I said no. I mean, it, it's just too... I, and I the thing about acting that I love is that you... The, the mistake people always make when you go from acting to directing is like, oh, you want to be in control, right? Directing, you have no, you have no control. Acting, you have all the control. So uh, I never like... That's why I didn't even like directing and acting very much, because the hats are so different. And directing is something I really, truly love, but it's largely a managerial job, right? You're, you're delegating and managing to other people, and, you're, and a lot of your talent is making sure those people are very good. Um, whereas acting, you're in your own, your own terrarium and, you know, and in the trenches with other actors, but you have complete control. So I never like being, like I said that to Dean, like they talked about me directing Bill and Ted 3 at one point early on. I was like, absolutely not. I want, I want to show up and be Bill. I don't want to be, I don't want to do anything else. I want to just think Bill for five months, you know, which is really insane if you think about Bill. <laughs> but you, you get my point. So, all right. Uh, I'm going to let you go. There was some, one other person with their hand up. I felt bad. Yeah, sorry. Just, oh, sorry. You oh. you love, oh, sorry. <laughs> you I started, I started do, making movies when I was like eight or nine years old and even, I was really into Dick Smith and like makeup when I was a little kid and I would go to the local store and get latex and actually make like old man makeup on myself when I was like nine, 10, 11 years old. So I am the prosthetics guy's wet dream. <laughs> like I'm the, like Keanu, for whatever we're doing, the old man in the buildings have whatever, like he's just like, like every second of it, I'm just like, bring on the, the glue. <laughs> Bring on the latex, bring on the hair, you know. I'm gonna do a movie this summer, at the end of the summer, where I'm unrecognizably buried in prosthetics. And I'm really <laughs> looking forward to that, so.
All right. All right. We have to wrap it up. Yeah, we got to wrap up. Sorry, guys, but thank you so much for coming out. And thank you so much, Alex Winter. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, guys, thanks for listening. This was a fun experience. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you like what you hear, as always, just hit us up at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send us an email at podcast at Prince Charles Cinema. Let us know how we're doing. You can always leave a rating or review on your podcast player of choice, particularly Apple Podcasts. If you like to leave a review for us, it really helps us out. And as always, if you want to support the podcast, it's patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. $5 or more a month gets you bonus episodes. Or if you only support us for as low as $1, you get these episodes early and just the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping us out. Yeah, as always, you can follow me at tall for all T-A-L, the number four A-L-L on Twitter and Instagram. And all I got to say is thank you. I love you guys. And we'll be back next week with a normal episode in the main timeline. So until then, Take care, enjoy your week, and be excellent to each other. Ta-ta! This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.